I'm Isaac Sims. I'm Olivia Clement. And I'm Eric Pham. And this is Flyover Film Country, a podcast about movies set in places oft forgotten by Hollywood. We are continuing our Flyover Essential series where we each pick a film that we believe to highlight the Flyover Country experience. Today we are covering one of Hong Kong's most famous and influential movies of all time, Chunking Express. Chunking Express is directed by Wong Kar Wai and follows the story of two cops as they try to get over some recent heartbreak. The plot is fairly straightforward, but there are a lot of themes and elements which relate to Flyover Country to unpack, and we are going to attempt to do that today. Before we get started, we'd like to give a shout out to our producers, Ready Set Podcast. Ready Set Podcast has prices to fit any budget. They have options for both hobbyists and professional podcasters. They make it super easy to create your own podcast. They can help record, edit, and publish it. If you have a podcast idea, they'll give you a free consultation if you reach out to them on their website or social media. Their website is www.readysetpodcast.xyz. Ready Set Podcast, turning your brilliant idea into reality. So, we are going to be, like I said, covering Chunking Express today. Um, this is a movie that is kind of special to me. Um, I saw it many years ago. I don't know, recall the first time I saw it. Then I watched it again in college for one of my Asian studies classes. I had a film professor who was obsessed with um, Asian cinema. So, like, he basically taught us, like, Asian history through movies. And this was one of the movies that he made us watch. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, he was he was awesome. He's definitely the best professor I ever had at UCA. Um, but yeah, so this is a this is a really fun movie. What did y'all think of it? Uh, let's just jump into it. Thoughts on the movie? I okay. So I, this is my first Wong Kar Wai movie, okay. and I'm really glad that you introduced us. Was this your first Wong Kar Wai movie, Olivia? Yeah, yeah, this was my first one as well. So finish your thought. So my thought, just to start things off, um, my thought was that this this movie took some adjusting too because it was just it was very different than what I was expecting. I hadn't watched the trailer. Mm -hmm. I the only thing I knew about it was uh, the blonde lady in the wig. Okay. Gun with the red glasses and i knew also that Wong car is like a romantic and a lot of his movies are emotional and kind of deal with that that side of humanity which i was really excited to see because um you know a lot of the a lot of the other asian directors that i've watched are a lot more gritty like park chan wook and Honestly, he's a lot more um, in your face, in your face and uh, pessimistic, I feel like. And so I was right. I was really thrown off by like, um, what's the name of the the first cop? Chu Min. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he's like Chimu Chimu. Yeah. By by played by uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro. Um, I, was, I probably butchered, butchered that, but he's <laughs> like just, oh, man, I'm so sad. But then it gets to the part where he's like scooping the pineapple out and talking about how he would buy a uh, pineapple. Like, what was it? The day the, the day can of pineapples, he would May. buy them until May 1st or. Yeah. And either by then his love will come back or his love will have expired. Pretty and got to think about it. And Jess turned to me and she goes, this is so sad. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, it is. I was not expecting this. Yeah. Well, that that's interesting. You say that, that you had you had no idea what to expect. And. Um, when this movie came out, it came out in the mid nineties um, in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, and Hong Kong cinema at the time was really characterized by like over the top, insane comedies, Jackie Chan movies, and like the John Woo type action movies. Mm -hmm. And when this movie came out, it became super popular in Hong Kong and did not fit any under any of those niches. 
So I don't think that feeling you had was anything out of the norm either. So, but I, but I loved how I also read afterwards about how he made this movie coming off of, you yes. might, you might know Eric, but like he was coming off of, uh, whatever he was ashes of time yes yes ashes of time so and he was really frustrated and he just like took his camera went onto the streets and started filming and you can feel how kinetic and real and like honestly like in a good way claustrophobic the movie is like you're packed into the tight these tight spaces especially in the first act with um with the woman in the blonde wig with the uh with all the indian people Mm -hmm. um in the in the I guess it's like a drug ring, right? And then right. later, later with uh, Tony Leung's character and the uh, air hostess having that really intimate scene in his tiny, <laughs> yeah, tiny apartment right next to the escalator, uh, and then you realize later that she can see into his apartment. Yeah, um, yeah, just it was it was special. It was special. It just wasn't what I was expecting at all, and I don't even know what I was expecting. That's what I right. love about watching um, movies cold with like no trailer which olivia and mm-hmm. i did for pig and it ended up being like one of my favorite yeah. uh, cinema experiences this year so awesome yeah. well, i'm glad to hear you you enjoyed that um yeah this movie yeah like you had mentioned he was i think right after had just finished shooting ashes of time which was this big epic martial arts movie that had like pretty much everyone big in Chinese cinema. I think it had Jackie Chan in it actually was the star of it. And it was unlike that movie was unlike any movie he had ever done before. And I don't think from what I've read, he was, he did not enjoy that filming experience. So like right during the editing of ashes of time, he went and shot chunking express in the middle of that, that production. And this is, this is what came out of it. And I think he kind of rediscovered, like this is the kind of movie that he likes to do because he hasn't done a movie since like ashes of time since then. Um, he's kind of went back to these dreamlike romantic stories. So what'd you think Olivia? I like Isaac had no idea what to expect. I don't know. Again, like Isaac, I, I don't really know what I was expecting. Um, and I went into it cold and I liked it. I, I wasn't expecting to see two stories kind of uh-huh. happen and uh, unfold. What I thought was really interesting was it almost felt like two movies in one yep. because, and I think that that's kind of how it was described in uh, like how some people describe it on like letterbox reviews and where, where the first one is more of a more, more serious in a way. It's like sad right. because he's so depressed about losing the love of his life. And then he, he finds this, you know, the woman in the blonde wig and, also, I would just like to say, I would love to see a spinoff movie about her life. Just how is she in this drug ring? How did that happen? How did how did all, all that right. play out? I'm so curious about all that. Uh, whereas the second act of the movie, the second half of the movie is is more lighthearted. And it's basically a rom com. Yeah, is yeah. Which is disorienting it, because I expected the two to and Olivia and I talked about this a little bit. I expected the two to intersect again later. Yeah. And, and I guess, I guess it's, and he probably did this on purpose. Like you start off like, Oh man, this is like kind of seedy and intense. And there is this love element aspect to it, but you kind of almost expect, uh, Takeshi, 
uh, Kenishiro's character to get killed or something like crossing paths with this woman falling in love with her I was kind of on edge and then I was on edge of the rest of the movie I don't but but then the more I processed it the more I'm like that was really it was really sweet and uh yeah I don't know yeah that that's one thing that this movie does well it, it really subverts the viewers any kind of expectation that the viewer had because mm-hmm. you don't expect these two stories to pretty much not be connected in any way um, and you don't really expect the ending to be kind of the ending it was. And um, that's one thing that I really, really liked about the movie. Um, as far as, let's see what else uh, we have, the cast. So before we jump into the cast discussion, so we ha- basically have four main characters. We have, I think on the actual character list, her name is Woman in Blonde Wig, played by Bridget mm-hmm. Lynn. Fun fact, this was her last movie she did before she retired. She was a huge Chinese movie star. Um, so this was the last movie she did before she she retired. Really? You have Tony Leung. I, oh, I was going to say, sorry to, sorry to interrupt you. I, I read on IMDb that she had had actually retired and um, Wong reached out to her and asked her to be in this movie. And so she came out of retirement. Oh, wow. That's awesome. To be in this movie. And then she was like, all right, that's it. Because she really yeah. wanted to work with him, but didn't have the chance. And then um, when this role came along, yeah, um, she she took it, which... She was great. I, I really like her character. Yeah, her character uh, is really awesome because I think she's known for being in movies. And this is what Quentin Tarantino said in an interview. Is like her, her face is very recognizable in Chinese cinema. So when she was in this movie, she was wearing a blonde wig and glasses the whole time. So no one knew what she really looked like. So huh. that, was, that was another kind of thing of subverting the viewer's expectation. Um, then we have Tony Lung, who plays Cop 663. Um, he's, of course, he's basically the Brad Pitt and Robert De Niro of, of Hong Kong and Chinese cinema. He's he's huge over there and is actually playing the Mandarin in Shang-Chi coming out, which is really awesome. And we have Fei Wong. I don't know if y'all read about Fei Wong, but this was the first movie that she ever did. Mm. And I'm pulling up a f- quick fact about her because, all right, here's here's a little paragraph I got. I think I got this from IMDb. Fei Wong was named in the Guinness Book of World Records as the best-selling female Cantonese pop artist of all time. She became the first Chinese singer to appear on the cover of Time magazine and in 2009 commanded the highest appearance fee for any singer on the Chinese mainland at $1 million per show. So That's insane. Yeah. I did. Yeah, I did see that she was a singer and she covered the Cranberry song that's in this movie. Yes, and that's the only song in the whole movie soundtrack that's actually in the native language, Cantonese. Um, everything else is in English. Um, so th- that's another cool fun fact. She was, I think, a lot of people who saw this movie, was they were like very fond of her energy and the vibe she gave. Um, she was very, really fun and free-feeling character. And I think she, her character went on to inspire a lot of different characters in, in movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, Takeshi Kaneshiro, who is actually Taiwanese and Japanese, um, playing a Cantonese character. So that's pretty cool. Oh, okay. And then I forgot to get the characters or the the actor's name, but I was one of my favorite characters is the restaurant owner. He was absolutely hilarious. He was very yeah, he, wise. Oh, as yeah. A lot yeah. of old wise Chinese men. Um, so what did y'all think of the cast? Who's your favorite character out of the four? The phase isn't phase uh cousin the restaurant owner? Yes. Oh yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I liked I liked him a lot because he was just kind of he he's kind of the fulcrum between the two stories, right? 
and he's giving advice and just saying like the only constant yeah you bring her food yeah. she'll be happy she'll like whatever you bring her like <laughs> yeah he had a lot of great lines the line about the chef salad and the pizza and what it, what he, he letting his girlfriend try something new and that ultimately the re, being the reason why she left him um yeah because he was like you should give her options and he was yeah. like okay and then he gave her options and that that became even more layered than just like options for food and right. so it was it was i, I loved that advice because like yeah give give her options absolutely you should give your significant other options and then and then that was ultimately why she left <laughs> Right. And yeah, here's the exact quote. It's one of my favorite ones is get both and let her try it. Can't go wrong. Chef salad and fish and chips. And then you see her come back in later in the movie with like this biker dude, a completely polar different opposite than cop yeah. 663. Um, and she makes him pay for her yeah. drink that she took from the rest yeah, from the gas station. I was like, what the heck? Yeah. Everyone yeah, was like, oh my gosh. Right. I have to say, so I was watching, I watched this with my wife and Gabe, my friend, and one of his friends, Maya, and Maya and my wife Jess go as soon as soon as Tony Luke comes on screen, they're like, Who is that? <laughs> he like, is. They both they both go, Man, he wow, he's really handsome. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 he is though. He is. Oh, yeah, he is he is he is a heartthrob for he's sure. Still got it. Yeah. Um Dude yeah, his his, age, like fine wine. His entrance is one of my favorite things about the movie because I think it was um, Takeshi Kaneshiro's character. He's like, I met this woman, then six hours later, she falls in love with, an, she will fall in love with another man. And then like, cue California Dreaming, and then to mm -hmm. Tony Lung's character just coming from the back of the frame, walking all the way up, then his face right on the camera, and then then story number two begins. I think it's that was like one of the most. It's definitely a jarring transition, but it it's like it's very epic to me. The way that it was done yeah and this is not to take away from um kanishiro is that right yes yeah he's also a very attractive <laughs> man like oh, yeah. both the whole cast is just really beautiful right they are around. yeah i think that is one of the appealing things i think people refer to this and a lot of Wong car wise movies as being very like intimate and sexy because mm -hmm. like the the cast the story the characters everything about it just eases eases oozes that kind of feeling oh um, yeah so. for sure so we ha that's the, the the cast and of course um, the crew. We have director and writer Wong Kar Wai. Y'all said this was your first your first film that you saw from him. He's done a lot of different movies. In the Mood for Love is another one that also stars mm -hmm. Tony Lung. I think six of his movies star Tony Lung. Um, and there's actually a third movie where there was a there was a movie called Fallen Angels that was supposed mm -hmm. to be the third act of this movie. And actually, oh. a lot of people like that movie the best out of better. A lot of people like that over Chunking Express. It's about this hitman and this lover that he has. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, it probably also is my favorite out of the three stories. But that is that was supposed to be part of this Chunking Express, but he decided to to make that a different movie, and that's okay. called Fallen Angel. So that's a good follow up piece. Um, and of course, he also did one called The Grand Master, which was produced by Scorsese, and that follows the story of Yip Man, also starring Tony Lung, who is Bruce Lee's master. And that was his most recent movie. So did that, did the Grandmaster come before all the Ip Man movies? So the Grandmaster did not, it came after, it came after, I think, two, then Yip Man three and four came after that. Okay. I think Grandmaster came out in 2013. 
um, huge hit in China um, as any other Yip Man movie. But uh, and then I think he's got a new TV show coming out, which I'm very, very hyped for. So. Um, so where are y'all? What's the what's the premise of the TV show? I remember reading about it. I don't remember it honestly. I think it takes place in China during the 40s or 50s. I have to look that up, but um, I'll look it up real quick if you want to. So I think y'all would would enjoy going through his filmography. Um, A lot of his stories are kind of like this. But of course, he has some of his movies are they're they're very different from each other, but they kind of have the same kind of feeling. So what is what is your favorite of his movies, Eric? My favorite is probably Fallen Angels Mm -hmm. or In the Mood for Love. Um, That one is kind of an iconic movie for him in, in the Mood for Love. Um, but I've, I've heard that in the mood for love is like one of the sexiest movies, right? It not is in ter- not it in is, terms yeah. of like, um, you know, sexuality depicted mm-hmm. on screen, but more like, it's just and, really, yeah, really it's romantic. intimacy and the romantic yeah. part of it. It tells a very interesting story. Basically I won't spoil it, but it's, it's a very interesting plot. And, um, one thing that I also love about his movies, they're very short. They don't feel like they're going to go two and a half, three hours long. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So that's Juan Car Wai and the cinematographer. I think I saw someone refer to him as like the Keith Richards of the film industry because the cinematographer, Christopher Doyle, he'd had no film school experience. He pretty much is self-taught. And I think Juan Car Wai, he would not have be well known as he is today without the cinematography of Christopher Doyle because the shots that he has chunking expressing throughout all of his movies, they're just mind blowing. Some of the I, I loved how the in the first act, the chase scenes are kind of blurred out. Yep. I'd never, I, I mean, I'm yeah. sure I've seen that in other places, but like it kind of gave this really gorgeous haze to this pretty, pretty seedy area of chunking mansion. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And he does that to kind of like illustrate how fast paced the environment feels around you, but he does that. And then he keeps the frame still on the characters as if they're moving in slow motion i think it's Mm -hmm. it's a really cool filming technique and i think it's called blossoms by the way his uh, yeah his it's set in shanghai i believe and then of course the filming location what makes this movie what it is is the setting of chunking mansions and the midnight express market Mm -hmm. um it kind of illustrates the craziness and dizziness of Hong Kong in the 90s, which is one of the themes of it is the, the British colonialism ending right around that time the movie came out. And then Hong Kong going back. I won't go down Chinese politics, but Hong Kong going back to ownership from China. This this movie had a lot of themes tying back into that if you if you want to do more research on that. So uh, let's jump into, I guess, the first story. Um, story number one, which I, I actually think I like story number one more than story number two. I do too. I, I, I do like, too. I, I love, I, like I said before, I'm a big, I'm a big softy. I'm a big romantic. Um, uh, I love the scene with where he has the airplane and he's like later on Tony Ling's character is like just landing the airplane on yeah. her, her yeah. naked body. I love like how intimate that f- scene feels, but I do I, overall, I do like the second, the first story. Best. Yeah, I agree. I, I like uh, the, the cop two, two, three. Yeah. Two, two, three's character. He's 
kind of like just this big oaf and like i will love he, you for ten thousand years <laughs> right he falls in love he's, he tells himself he's at a bar drinking and he like he's gonna fall in love with the first woman that he sees and the first woman that he sees is like coincidentally a drug dealer and he's a cop um so that that is one of the themes that that I got away from this movie is is connections. Um, so like a lot of the encounters you make or the encounters the characters make are encounters with strangers. And then whether it's like a small or big connection you make with these characters, you don't know how, how that's going to affect your life. And you can see um, all the characters, whether they meet the, they meet the opposite character of their relationship, you can see how it kind of unfolds their life. Um and I think a lot of people say this is a movie about the two cops, but you also have to keep in mind it's also a movie about the two female characters, just as it is about the two male characters, mm-hmm. because you have the two, both of the female characters, one a drug dealer and one who wants to go over to America. And both of them are both obsessed with Western culture because uh, the, the blonde woman in the wig dresses up as, as, as a blonde woman in the wig. I was and gonna- then you have Faye Wong's character obsessed with American music. Yeah, I was going to, and then she ends up going to California and becoming right. a stewardess, ironically. I was going to ask you about that. What, um, was that a specific decision that he made? Or do you know, like, just the, the fascination with America? Was it kind of like his, that had love, to do, his love of American cinema? Or? That had to do with, uh, kind of the, I think the ties back, um, and this is a little political to what was going on in Hong Kong at the time. There was, in Hong Kong at the time, Hong Kong was at a state where they were trying to, f- the people in Hong Kong were trying to find out who they were as a people because mm-hmm. they, they went through all these stages, all the, the decades and decades before that of being owned by the British, owned by China, back and forth, back and forth. And they were in this conflicting state. And they were, of course, in Hong Kong, which is a major trade port destination. So you had all these different mixes of cultures. And I think he chose those two female characters to, to be American to kind of tie back to that. So like that a lot. there's a lot of subtext to, to the, to the, to Hong Kong and Chinese politics. And can, as can well. you, can you point out like just a little bit or another instance of like the, the British colonialism in that, because, um, because you kind of, you mentioned it and then we, we moved on, but I, I do find that interesting. And obviously I did not catch yeah. it watching the movie. Yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to follow up on that one. I don't know uh, if I have anything in my notes besides that one I just mentioned. Which, yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of subtext and layers to this film when you look at it. Um, it's, there's a lot more that goes on uh, under the film. So um, there's a lot of symbolism I'll say. Have you guys, um, I, I don't want to jump to story number two before we've kind of discussed everything with story number one, because there's, there's one major thing about story number two that I had, a, I had an issue with. And so we'll get to that eventually, but have you guys ever had, or, or like, did, did it resonate with you whenever he said like, I, I just met this woman and she's going to fall in love with a man and you know, eight hours, it was it eight hours or something. Six or hours. Yeah. Hours, six, six hours. hours. Yeah. Like, like I remember having those thoughts, like there's so many people in this store right now, or like, there's so many people in this building right now. And like, it's, it's kind of like, I, I like that he nails this existential sort of narration in your head. Like that, mm-hmm. like the narration works so well because it's just kind of like, oh, like I just kind of thought about this and I'm kind of like thinking about stuff that's going on in my life. It's not like it's not heavy handed at all, but most of the time narration is no matter how well you write it. Um, but have y'all had an experience like that or was I'm it like sh- reminiscent or kind of evocative? Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm sure. I think uh, I think a lot of these feelings, and one thing I really like about his movies, he he does a really good job of capturing feelings that a lot of other movies and stories don't capture, and specifically like feelings of like loneliness and romance and things like that, um, which is why I really love. I don't. I'm not gonna say I'm I'm like the the cop in the first story, but that's why I kind of I do like it, like him because I kind of relate to those feelings. Yep. Yeah, Makes I mean, sense. I think that that's kind of the beauty of of movies is that especially like this like there are so many universal themes in this movie that it doesn't matter if you're in hong kong or halfway across the world in you know like bartles bartlesville arkansas or oklahoma right like like there's a bartlesville uh, arkansas pretty sure there is nice i don't know maybe there's not i know there's an oklahoma i thought there was one in arkansas um doesn't matter doesn't matter nowhere arkansas um (laughs) flip in Smack I'm not gonna o- say I over. like toad suck. Like, have toad you ever suck. have you ever eaten like third cans of pineapples though? Okay, know. that dude, that dude's <laughs> teeth would have been falling out. Have you ever eaten like <laughs> one thing of pineapple in the student center? I would eat like one container of pineapple, and I was like, "Holy cow, my teeth hurt so bad!" And like, <laughs> that's one of my. I don't. I'm not afraid of very many things, but I'm afraid of my teeth like falling out or rotting. Yeah. And so I'm like yeah. kind of religious with how much i floss and stuff and i was like i'm never eating pineapple again never again and i haven't i haven't eaten it since like sophomore year of college that dude's teeth would have been falling out (laughs) yeah those things that they do have that weird feeling on your teeth too many pineapples too much citrus i I love the the conversation he has with the grocery store clerk and like he's like look dude i don't make the pineapples have expiration dates if you want to just take the whole can and then um, he kind of just he 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 takes something as simple as expiration dates on pineapples and makes it into this theme of love and love expiring and whether that actually happens or not. Um, yep, which which I found really fun in the first story. So story know, number two. Oh yeah, yeah go ahead. I know. All right, I was about to say I know we're limited on time, so I'll just get out what I was alluding to earlier. I did not find it romantic that she was breaking into his apartment, <laughs> partially because he no, that was he, psychotic. Yes, well, well, partially because the more they interacted with each other, and you get to spend more time with them than you do with the the blonde woman and officer two two three. He did not. Uh, Tony Leung's character, officer, is it six six three? Yes, mm-hmm. did not seem to be like that like interested in her and that's why i was like yeah. i was kind of waiting for something bad to happen and i got that she was like into him and like really fascinated with him but i i just didn't find it romantic eric uh uh moderate me and yeah little, i uh, i agree that was that that scene where she's pretty much breaking and entering into his apartment is well, then floods is, his apartment i was like and now she and floods his apartment, his apartment and yeah. hides in it um, she definitely has a weird definition of, of personal space. Uh, but if you do remember, he does say you're welcome to come over at any time. And that is kind of a thing is like in, in Asia is like your house is my house. Um, so, okay. yeah. And I'm, that, I was that, I was like certain that there was all this all this cultural. Right. Right. So that that's kind of a cultural thing. Yeah. But it, it is pretty funny and makes for really funny scenes um, as she's cleaning the apartment up. And um, she's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Yeah, with the with the fish <laughs> and everything. Really is. funny because I was like, "Wait, she's in his apartment." Yeah, but but the, but when he opens the door and she's like going in and she has the goldfish and she's like, "I was buying goldfish," and he's like, "Someone sells goldfish around here." <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of funny funny the the 
the script and the, some of the lines characters have, they're deep, but they're also very funny and humorous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you, uh, once you jog so much that your body sweats out all the tears. So you, that's, you don't yeah, have anything that is left a, to cry. That is a great one. And I also love how his password, voicemail password, which is, is undying love. Um, right. To really just everything home, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Really drive home the point. He is a hopeless romantic. Right, and he, exactly. he calls all his girlfriends and um, all of them. And he's like, <laughs> oh, you're married. Years. We haven't talked in five years. You have yeah. two kids. All right. Oh, yeah, wish you the best. <laughs> and then uh, I think there was I think it was towards the end. The restaurant owner is like, you should like talk to me. Then there's like a dude working. He's like, oh, I'm not into guys. I um, found that really funny as well. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the music, which is kind of like the the big thing in in a uh, story number two. So the music I found I the thought cranberries. I'm, yeah, you have the cranberries and you have uh, the uh, all the other music. Uh, California Dream, and of course, being the one that plays like at least thirty different times in the movie, um, which I I found it I found it pretty awesome how he played that. That's like the opening. I guess that the opening scene to story number two, mm-hmm. and the theme of it is California. How Faye ultimately is going to go move to California. The spot that he's supposed to meet Faye is the California bar. Um, and the scene in the story ends with Faye like drawing the note of mm-hmm. where to meet him. Mm-hmm. So, the music is like, awesome. Like California Dreaming is a is an interesting song choice because like it's the mamas and papas sing it, and it it's all. I, I think that this is just a common. It doesn't really matter where you're from. It's like the idea of going to California is like yes there's hope in California for some reason. And exactly. Um, which is funny to me. Cause I have seen where people on Twitter have described California <laughs> as just like a West coast, Texas. Like it's, it's literally the same thing as Texas, except like the LA is really the big difference. It's more expensive um, and it's more expensive, but there's this like hope that, yes. that California is going to bring something magical or different. It's same for like New York city, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. You hit the nail on the head, like California, especially for I don't know what it is in Asian culture. Like California, you made made it to California. You like pretty much made it in life. So that's like that's like a huge thing. Like hmm. everyone aspires. If you're an if you're an immigrant, is is to move to California. I'm, I'm sure that's changed, but that was like the goal for a lot of people. Um, in the not past. Arkansas. Not no. Arkansas <laughs> at all. Um, gotcha. Gotcha. But, just want just wanted to clarify. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the music is is awesome, and I in the criterion, the release notes, they call it a jukebox movie because all the music in it is is incredible. I really loved the the Fei Wong's rendition of the dreams of dreams by the Cranberries. I every time that song came on, I was like, I loved it. Um, her voice yes. is, was incredible. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, I also love that two of this like the two songs we're talking about are somehow about dreams, and yes. like dream is in the title. And talking about just like dreams are not reality, but we want them to be sometimes. Sometimes we don't. Obviously, there are dreams where you're just like, what was that about? Um, in which case, you should probably talk about that with your therapist. But uh, <laughs> in any case, you know, when we dream about things, we we want them to be a certain way. And rarely do those things actually line up with reality. And so I wonder how much of that was like thought about as um, the soundtrack was being chosen with these storylines playing out because, you know, Cop 223 was this hopeless romantic and wanted all these things to happen and they didn't. And then Faye having this this dream of moving to California, but also just having this not 
weird dream, but just like the, the, not necessarily like weird crush, but just this like interesting relationship with with cop six six two. Uh, yeah, six six three. Yep, yep. So I mean, it's just I have just something I wanted to highlight. Yeah. Just one that was interesting. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, there's a, there's a lot in this movie, um, and we could talk about it for days. But I'm really glad y'all enjoyed this. I think good pick. Man. I like. I yeah, good pick. That. I'm glad y'all enjoyed it. Um, I think a follow-up piece, if y'all want to see more Wong Kar-wise, Fallen Angels, which is kind of third piece to the saga. And, also on Criterion. Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Nice. Oh, it's, it's good to know. Yep. Um, I, I think that I one think a lot I'm of people like it because it. it's... <laughs> yeah, me and yeah. Olivia are bumming yeah. off each other. <laughs> nice. But uh, that's well, it for our Chungking Express, uh, I guess, episode. Olivia, is your pick next? What are you going to be choosing? My pick is next. I'm going to pick Little Woods. It is streaming on Hulu, so no one has to buy it. Okay. Unless you don't have Hulu, in which case I'll send you my information so we can share it. Um, yeah, so uh, it's got... Um, it's directed by Nia DaCosta, who is directing the new Candyman Candy movie, not Candyland. Uh, so I'm just I'm really excited about it. I, I can't wait to talk about it with you guys and hear y'all's thoughts on it. Have either one of you seen it? Nope. Nope. Okay. All right. Let's go. Let's do yeah. it. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and that is uh, 